Welcome to the City Beautiful Church podcast. Thank you for taking the time to join our family as we strive to live together in heavenly reality. For more great content, visit us online at citybeautiful.ch. Welcome everyone to City Beautiful Church. My name is Ryan and I'm the pastor here. And today is the last message in our series entitled Crux. We've been examining the core, vital, basic, decisive, pivotal points of Christianity over the past several weeks. Really coming back to those things that sometimes we take for granted as being, you know, I don't like that word, but the basics of our faith. And really realizing that the Lord has so much for us there as we continue to dive deep into the things that sometimes we take for granted. Um, And it's a nice, happy coincidence that today we're going to be looking at the idea of the church, and today is the last day of the church calendar. It's called Christ the King Sunday, and as we tell the story through the church calendar, we're kind of culminating in this idea that Jesus is King and Lord overall, and that's what we're celebrating today. So it feels really appropriate for us then to look at this idea of the church. This is that we are Jesus's legacy. We are what he has left behind in order to continue that redemptive process of rescuing and redeeming the world. And so I'm going to pray, uh, and we're going to talk about the church today. And so, Heavenly Father, we testify that you are here, that you are with us, that you are for us, you are not against us. Lord, we are each here uh, because we have some sort of expectation within us. Maybe we can't even name it yet, but there's there's a level of hunger, of expectancy, Uh, for awe and wonder, for mystery, for more than what we can see with our eyes and hear with our ears, that there's something about who you are that has drawn us into this place. And for many of us, there's something about who you are that has not only drawn us into this place, but that has brought us into being part of your family, your people. Even as a couple of weeks ago, we looked at those words uh, from the Apostle Peter, that once we were no people, but now we're your people. And once we had not received mercy, but now we have received mercy. So Lord, as we uh, go on this journey today of really looking at this idea of church and what it is that you seek to build within us, I pray that we would be open-handed to receive your truth at all times, that you'd be speaking to us about our own experiences, our own perspective, and that you would draw us deeper into yours, that you would give us eyes to see the church as you see her. May the words of my lips and the meditation of all of our hearts be ever pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Several weeks ago, um, I had a couple of friends over to my house for dinner, and one of the things that they had asked me was, well, what's your, what's your testimony? What's your story of, of coming, uh, you know, into the presence of God, of being rescued and redeemed? And I've, and I've shared a lot of parts of it with you in the past, but, you know, a major theme of my story was there was never really a time that I didn't know God. Now, when I was very young, it was very basic ideas of who God was, but I grew up in the church. I never had that kind of dramatic testimony where I was out boozing and cruising and, like, riding motorcycles and, you know, like, 
kicking puppies is always like my favorite go-to sin, you know, like, and then all of a sudden I had this like, you know, big conversion experience. My life has been a series of conversions, or maybe you would say, you know, being born again and again and again and again as I continue to have these radical experiences of God that give me a bigger perspective of who he is, but also a greater perspective of myself and the world. And As I was telling my story to these friends, I realized how much I was talking within my own testimony about the church as I was about God, that the church was this integral part of my journey of getting to know God. So for me, it's it's very difficult for me to separate those two aspects out, the the story that I have with God and the story that I have with church. And I want to propose to you today that actually those two things are intimately tied together. And it's near impossible for us to tell the story of God within our own lives without telling the story of the church as well. And so I want to look, my kind of main uh, piece of scripture we're going to be looking at is in Hebrews uh, chapter 10. Um, I love the letter of Hebrews. It's written from a very Jewish perspective, um, but it, it really speaks so much to what it means to be part of the people of God, kind of taking that idea from Judaism, and then as seeing through Jesus, it's opened up for all of us to be welcomed into that family. And so the writer says this, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, I want you to hold on to that phrase, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together, as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. I hope you notice even in those six verses, so many of the themes that we've looked at in this series are present there the nature of God, human nature, of salvation, of confession, forgiveness, of baptism, of being drawn into a people. And it culminates with this idea that we are to not give up meeting together. There's something that happens on the other side of this story of God that we have been woven together as his family. And this is where the work continues to take place. So the church is the cradle of our faith. The church is the cradle of of our faith. It is not the church that gives us faith. It's not the church that saves us, but it is the space in which we are rescued and redeemed. It nurtures us. It feeds us. It creates this environment for us to engage with God and with one another. The original word for church that we find time and again throughout the scriptures is ecclesia, a Greek and Latin word that means to be called out or to be called forth, that we're called out of the ether of the world around us, this kind of ambiguous no-people-ness. And we've been called out of that to become the people of God. And that word began to be used even in the first century in the early church to mean gathering. Wherever the people of God gather, they have been called out, called forth, and called into something new. 
And I think it's important for each of you that claim to be Christians to recognize that if it were not for the church persevering throughout the ages, preserving the tenets of our faith, you would not be here today. Could God rescue you outside of the church? I suppose it's possible. But the church was actually God's plan for rescuing you, for taking you from being no people to being the people of God. And I think it's important that we learn how to receive that and to live into it deeply. Because, you know, when I look around the room, I know many of your stories, and I know there's all varying degrees of engaging with this idea of church throughout your life. Some of you, like me, you grew up in the church from the literal cradle. For others of you, it was a very definitive moment in your story that you met God and that you were drawn into his people. For many of you, I know, it was a little bit of a trial and error. You kind of started in one little corner of the church, and and then you moved into another one, and you moved into another one as you're constantly seeking and searching for that place where you can really meet God, where the, the, the depths of who you are kind of are electrified by God's presence in a place and in a people. And I think before we go any farther, it's so important for us just to maybe pause here and just to take stock of when we come into this word church, what are we bringing with us into that? Because I think that will actually cloud and affect so much of what it is that I want to kind of set forth as my vision for church. So we're going to just take three minutes, and I want you to turn uh, to two or three people next to you, and I want you to discuss this question together. What has been your journey in the church? whether it's from the cradle or you, this is your first experience of church, what has your journey been like? How have you maneuvered that word, that place, that people? So turn groups of two and three and just take a couple minutes and discuss. your story, you know, perhaps you're practicing self-awareness. I said that self-awareness is the greatest gift the Holy Spirit gives us. And as you're telling your story, are you listening to how you tell your story, what you think are the kind of pertinent details or the attitude by which you hold it? Maybe you even come in here and that word church kind of fills you with anxiety or dread. Um, And that's really the thing that I want to help us all to grow in, that we come to love the church. So kind of three things that I have found so central to understanding what church means in the eyes of God, and hopefully um, that will help us to continue to grow together to see that envisioned within our own community. So number one, uh, to be a Christian is to live in Christian community. To be a Christian is to live in Christian community. The biggest question in all of Christianity should be this. How do we come to know God? If that's a shock to you, that that's the primary reason that we're here is to know God, see me after. We'll talk, it, we'll talk through it. That's our number one goal. That's our number one desire as Christians is to know God. And the question then becomes, how do we come to know him? How do we come to know God's heart? How do we come to know his voice? How do we come to know his movement and and intervention in our lives and the lives of those around us? And one of the things that we find in a lot of church traditions they talk about is called the three-legged stool. Did anybody grow up with this uh, explanation of how we come to know God, the three-legged stool? Or um, any Methodists in here, and it would be the quadrilateral? 
Methodists love words like that. I grew up Anglican Episcopalian. We've got our own weird words. But there's this idea of the three-legged stool, which is basically how do we come to know God? And, and if you know, you know, a stool with three legs can, can kind of support your weight. If any of those legs are missing, you fall over and you don't have a complete picture. And basically, they're this, those three legs. Number one is Scripture. We come to know God through the Holy Scriptures. That this is a collection of books that have been written by people knowing God. Uh, of pursuing him, of learning his heart, and that it's actually the church that kind of compiled what we call the canon of Scripture to say these are the best, these stories, these books, these poems, these are the best representations of what it means to discover the heart of God. And so Scripture is one of those legs. The second, we'll say, is community and tradition, that we come to know God through the people of God. And sometimes we talk about the church historical and universal, okay? Those two words are often applied. And what that means is we come to know God through the community that we're part of, but we also come to know God through all Christians around the world today. And that we have the unique advantage today in the 21st century of actually being in touch with Christians all over the world. How many of you, you know, perhaps you follow somebody who's a missionary or you kind of are, you're, you have your ear towards the news of what's happening in the church in countries all over the world. That's amazing that we're able to do that today. You know, in the, the, the decades just after Jesus, you know, that was never really possible. It was even by the 19th century, that was kind of a, a vague awareness. You'd get little bits of news here and there every once in a while. But now we're able to tap into the church universal that transcends denomination, that transcends language. But we're also part of the church historical. This is the tradition that the church as the cradle of faith passed down the traditions from one generation to the next, preserving the truth, preserving the scriptures, preserving uh, the sacred acts of us doing church. So you've got scripture, you've got community and tradition, and the third is personal experience. You know that we don't have to live on the rumors of what God is like through the stories of other people throughout history but we actually get to encounter him today. We can have that personal relationship with him now. And so it's our lived-in experience of God right now through the Holy Spirit becomes an integral part of how we know him. And so our pursuit as Christians is really to find the balance between those three legs of the stool, between scripture, community or tradition, and personal experience. And I think if it, our goal is to have balance between those, then if any of those is missing from our journey of faith, we actually rob ourselves of an incredibly powerful way in which God speaks to us. So if we exempt ourselves from being part of community, of being part of the church, we are robbing ourselves of the ability to know God. And I think we need to take that very seriously. I don't think you can actually, this is a bold statement, I do not think you can follow Jesus and reject the church. I do not think you can do that. Because to reject the church is to reject Jesus' invitation, his command for us to be together. There's this moment where he's sitting with his disciples and he's asking this question, who do people say that I am? And they're kind of passing out, well, some people say this and some people say you're kind of like this. And, and he turns to them and he says, well, who do you say that I am? And Peter, God bless him, he's the most kind of brash, reckless, passionate of the disciples. He says, well, you, you're the Christ, you're the Messiah, you're the chosen one, you're the embodiment of what God is like. 
And Jesus blesses this answer. You know, and I think that's important for us to respond to as well when we say, well, who do people say that I am? And we say, well, I've heard this, and I've heard this, and I've heard this, and then Jesus says to each one of us, well, who do you say that I am? How do you perceive me? And so Jesus blesses Peter, and he says, you are the rock, which Peter means the, the, the Greek word Petra. Uh, he changes his name there, Petra. You are the rock. That's what that word means. Peter means rock. You are the rock upon which I will build my church. You know, cue all the snarky, uh, you know, bumper stickers that say Jesus didn't come to start a religion. He came to start a relationship or all that stuff. Like, no, Jesus came to, to build a church upon Peter. And then we find later on in one of the letters that Peter writes after he's had this dynamic experience of Jesus, he's witnessed the resurrection and he actually lives into that prophetic word that he's going to be the rock upon which Jesus builds his church. He's writing to his people and he says, you are living stones being built into a spiritual house. And so what Peter says is your identity is as one part of a whole. You're not exempt from that. Jesus is the cornerstone, but each one of you, as you have been saved into the family of God, you become a stone in which God is building a human temple, a place for him to rest in all of us. And I kind of wish that sometimes the, the biblical transitions, or translations use the word y'all. I think, you know, in the South, we've actually been blessed with this powerful word, y'all. Because when we read the Bible, a lot of times what happens, we read the word you, and we think me, like as myself. And we take on these things that are being said about all of us together, but we only apply it to ourselves. But it really should say, y'all are the living stones being built into a spiritual house. Sorry, I've been in Georgia this week, so I was really experiencing this a lot. But why do we believe otherwise? Why do we think that it can just be me and Jesus? Why do we think that we can reject the church or have disdain for the church or go, oh, them over there, they're just, they're corrupt and they're hypocrites and they're broken and I'm, I'm just going to do it myself. Because can you imagine the disciples doing that? Can you imagine Peter? Can you imagine Paul writing to these churches and saying, I am sick and tired of you. You're all idiots. You're just messing it up. I'm done with you. I'm just going to make it me and Jesus for the rest of my life. That's how I'm going to choose into it. Can you imagine the disciples having that same attitude? It's because we have been raised in a culture that champions individualism and consumerism. And when we bring that into the message of the church, we think that the message of the church, the gospel, the good news, the work of God in history is for individuals. And so we believe that we're saved as individuals. We believe that we come to church as individuals. We believe we worship as individuals. We give as individuals. We read the Bible as individuals. Because that's everything around us in society is telling us you are an individual. That is the highest call for who you are. Do not let yourself belong too much because it's going to cost you something. And before long, individualism becomes isolationism. And we're so desperate for an individual identity that we actually rob ourselves, the deepest part of ourselves that has this deep desire to belong. And I believe that so many of the crises of faith within our community, especially within my generation and younger, are a result of having believed an individualized gospel. That it's just about you and Jesus. And so many of the people that I sit with and they're having a crisis of faith, they're questioning everything they've ever been taught to believe 
is because they're approaching it only as an individual at the expense of belonging, at the expense of being part of something. Which, like I said, the deepest part of you actually wants that. The deepest part of who you are knows that you are wired to belong to the people of God. And when you reject that, when you rebel against that, when you try to separate yourself from the thing because you're afraid of what it might cost you or because you've been disappointed in the past or whatever it might be, you rob yourself of the ability to encounter God in deep and profound ways by the person that might be sitting right next to you. By listening to the stories of the missional church halfway around the world that's actually facing real persecution. To be a Christian is to live in Christian community. I just finished reading this book by Aaron Nequist called The Eternal Current, and he speaks of this transition in his life of growing up one way of kind of this rough individualism where everything about faith was just about what you believe, but not being told what to do with that belief and having this crisis of faith in his mid-20s and then discovering in all of these other traditions within the church how to move towards a practice-based faith that firmly planted him in a people. And there was this quote in there that I found so powerful about uh, this idea of being the church and in that line of Hebrews about not giving up meeting together and why it's so important. And he says this, gathering in worship helps us submit to something bigger than our personal preferences. We are invited to sing new songs, listen to new ideas, and follow a plan that is often not what we would have chosen for ourselves. As we are stretched, we learn how to find God's fingerprints both beyond our preferred pathways. Learning to submit to something bigger than ourselves is an indispensable skill for swimming with the eternal current, choosing to remain in isolation and complete control is choosing to stay on the shore. And is that not why we choose isolation, why we choose individualism? Because we want control. We want the power. We want to protect ourselves. We want to determine what is right and wrong, and we want to determine the the rules of engagement when it comes to other Christians and when it comes to the church herself. But as Soren Kierkegaard once said, the only thing worse than not getting what you want is getting what you want. He was a very miserable Danish guy. (laughs) And it comes true. We get all the, we get the control. We get the power. We get the right to self-determination. But in Christianity, we have a term for that. It's called hell. We invite hell onto ourselves when we keep ourselves separated from the family of God, from the people of God, because we separate ourselves from God himself. And so what is the church there for? What does it do for us? That's my second point. It's in the steadfast devotion to the church that we figure out what love really means. I'm going to set some of you free right now with this, okay? You ready for it? Like, are you really ready for it, though? Okay. Never, ever confuse the church with the kingdom of God. Those are different. Okay? The church is not the kingdom of God. The church is a ragtag group of people who have decided to seek out the kingdom together. And they are different. 
And I think it's so important that we understand that because what that means is by nature, as part of the church, we are explorers, we are learners, we are fellow sojourners seeking out the kingdom together. Kind of, it's almost like divining for water. We're looking for the Holy Spirit. We're seeking Him out together. You know, a lot of times I meet people who have exited the church and they've said, well, I could never go to church. It's full of hypocrites. And I'm like, you're absolutely right. It is full of hypocrites. But it's full of hypocrites when we think that we've arrived at something as the church, when we think the church is the kingdom of God itself. If we pretend like we've already got it together, then yes, we are hypocrites. Several years ago, I had a, a friend of mine from college when she found out that I'd taken on this job, and she said, oh, I'd really love to visit your church, but I haven't been in ages, and you know, I just feel really distant from God, and I haven't really like, stayed on the path. I don't know if I'd be able to come in there. And I said, well, if those are the criteria, I might as well not show up this Sunday. We think that the church is the point of arrival. We think the church is the, the, the thing of perfection of journeying, of exploring, of sojourning, of seeking out the kingdom together. There's an amazing woman in the, the early part of the 20th century, Dorothy Day. She started uh, the Christian Workers Union. Radical woman, powerful woman, really did a lot for social justice. And she has this amazing quote. She says, the church may be a harlot at times, but she is my mother. And I think it's important that we're able to hold this idea of church in that creative tension. That yes, the church is a harlot. She is unfaithful. She has missed the mark. She has been, you know, not been entirely faithful to who God is. Yes, even the church has hurt us. And so for many of us, we go, yes, absolutely, the church is a harlot. She is a whore. She has been unfaithful. Who wants anything to do with her? And guess what Jesus does? Because we see that time and again in his story that Jesus chooses the harlots and the whores, the sinners and the unfaithful. Because the church is also our mother. She has nourished us. She has fed us. You know, even in the series, we talked about this idea of making covenant with God. But have we made covenant with his bride? Have we made covenant with his wife? Can we submit to her humbly? There's this amazing line in Ephesians 5 when Paul's talking about husbands and wives, and he says, you know, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. And I wonder if we really believe that, if Christ was willing to give himself up for the church because he loves her, harlot as she is, are we willing to do the same? Are we willing to give ourselves up for the church because we love her? And so I want us just to take another moment, but instead of discussing this with one another, I want us just to enter into a time of reflection with the Holy Spirit. And this is the question that I want to challenge you to use as prompting in your discussion with God. What does it look like for me to authentically love the church, to really, truly, genuinely to love the church, to submit to her, to, to seek to love her even with an ounce of the love that Jesus loves her. So I'm going to pray, and I'm going to give you a moment. God, we know that you love the church, that you have a plan for her, you have a destiny for her, and we know that she has been unfaithful. We know that she has been unkind to many of us in this room. 
But God, you have called us to love her in the way that you do. So would you reveal to each one of us right now in who we are, in our story, in our personalities, in our gifts, what does it look like for us to authentically love the church as you do? speaking something to you to go ahead and write that down. Maybe even just to meditate on that later on this afternoon. And so my third and final point, we've been chosen into the whole church, universal and historical, by the grace of a very, very accommodating God. You know, I've mentioned before, there's somewhere in the realm of 40,000 denominations of Christianity. You know, when we line that up with the other major world religions, that there's kind of two major expressions of Islam, there's about three or four expressions of Judaism, and we have 40,000 denominations. You know, even when we're looking at the sacraments of baptism and communion, those are kind of some of the main battlegrounds by which we choose to separate ourselves out from one another. And that could be one of those major points of, of frustration and anger at the church that we can't seem to maintain the sense of unity that on some level we know that we're called to. But I wonder if there's a way to actually look at that from the perspective of God. Because when I read those statistics about 40,000 denominations, I look at that and I say, tell me that God does not put up with our nonsense. Tell me that God is not very, very patient and accommodating. But I think the current state of the church today in 2018, it kind of invites us to ask these questions. Is God actually in charge? Is God actually in control or has he been asleep for 2,000 years? And all of a sudden, he's woken up and gone, oh my goodness, this is not what I intended at all. Because how we see the church is dramatically affected by our understanding of how God sees her. And so when we think that the church is just way off the rails and it's irredeemable and it's totally messed up and we just need to leave it behind and burn it all down, then what we're really saying is God is not really in control. God is a passive observer of his own story. But I wonder if there's a way for us to actually learn to see the way the church is, that number one, God is very accommodating and kind and patient, but also that maybe, just maybe, God is choosing to work through our denominationalism, our tribalisms, that God still chooses to work in and through that. And two things that I've said that are the most powerful things that I can ever convey to you about God is number one, God is with us, and number two, God turns curses into blessings. That God looks at the human condition, whatever it is for us individually, for us communally, and he goes, I can work with that. I can do something with that. I don't demand that it always looks the way that my desires would be, but I can actually choose to work within the faulty systems of man and turn curses into blessings, to turn the things that are ugly into something beautiful. 
And so if you've ever seen a church timeline, you see that it kind of splinters out like a piece of glass that's been struck. There was one nice, holy, and universal church for about a thousand years, and then it split, and you had Orthodox and Catholicism, and then Catholicism splintered in the Reformation, and shards went flying everywhere, and it was a total mess. And we Anglicans, we started moving back towards Orthodoxy, and all the rest of the Protestants were moving further towards heresy. And you get all the, you know, and you get, then you get out into all these little branches at the very top where it's like they're handling snakes and they, you know, believe that, you know, every, every blood moon is the sign to the thing or whatever, you know, like, and it just like splinters as it goes forth and you look at these timelines and you're like, oh my goodness, like, we have gone so far off course. But as I was praying about it this week, the Lord actually gave me this really beautiful vision that what if instead of seeing it as this tragic splintering of the, the church as God intended it, we actually choose to see church history as we would a river a river system with its tributaries all flowing in to one another as water is collected from the source, which is kind of out in you know, the mountains and the hills. And as it's drawn into these places that tributaries and creeks become rivers and rivers flow into one another and then they flow out into the ocean. And I love that the Lord gave me this vision because I think it speaks to uh, a beautiful way for us to view church history if we actually read it backwards that you and I, where we stand, and you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe this is us, like, out here. Maybe this is City Beautiful. I don't know, maybe it's way down here. I don't know. That's for you to decide. But maybe, you know, we perceive that we're way, way out on the fringes of this church timeline. But we've actually been given this beautiful ability to just float, just to give ourselves to the flow, and just to float downstream. And that you and I, we start out here in City Beautiful Church, you know, an independent, sort of charismatic, sort of this, sort of that church, flowing downstream, collecting together with all of these tributaries and creeks into larger rivers, and these rivers gathering together into bigger rivers, and that as we float downstream, we're collecting this wisdom from the capital C church along the way until we find ourselves at Jesus. What if that is the invitation for us today? to see as we follow the stream of church history that all these people, universally, all the, our fellow believers around the world right now in every denomination, tribe, and tongue, in the church historical, that all the brothers and sisters that have come before us, that we can lean into them, that we can learn from them, that we can read with them, and we can, we can dialogue with them. And the more that we do, we're collecting this wisdom that eventually leads us to Jesus himself. I'm standing in front of you today as a testimony that my faith has survived because I have chosen to listen to those who came before me because I've chosen to listen to those that I'm surrounded by, even if on the surface, especially if on the surface I do not agree with them or I turn my nose up to them. We have to kill the cynicism in the church if we ever want to see unity, and especially if we ever want to know Jesus. Cynicism will be the biggest killer for you finding yourself at the feet of Jesus. But this is the beauty of us recognizing that we have been rescued into the whole church, universal and historical. You're connected. You have a place. You have a personhood. You have a tribe, you have a story. You have a family. And you don't quit family. 
You don't dip out a family because it's inconvenient, because it's not the way that it should be. But you choose into that connectedness. You choose into that belonging because the family is there to teach you something. The writer of Hebrews continues on in chapter 12. And she says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, the church historical, universal, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And let us run together with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. We don't reject the past. You don't have to reject your past as an individual. We don't have to do it as the family of God. But we do bring along with us from moment to moment, generation to generation, begging for redemption. I have this tattoo on the back of my right arm. The bee is an ancient symbol of the church. You know, the kind of honey, the hive is a symbol of the colony of God, the people of God. And I wrote that word underneath it, ecclesia, the gathering. And that bee doesn't look very healthy. And that's okay. Because this was to see the church rise up in our time, to be part of the redemptive work, to call her back to faithfulness because we recognize that we are a part of her. And she is worthy of being loved because God has determined her worthy. So I want to invite you to stand with me. And we're going to pray a prayer together as we continue in worship. This is a prayer written by the Scottish theologian George MacLeod. It's a prayer called A Chaos of Uncalculating Love. And we're going to read this together. It was your custom to go to the temple, to the noisome temple, sometimes to the scandalized temple, listening to the mumbo-jumbo, but it was your custom to go. Give us grace in our changing day to stand by the temple that is the present church, the noisome temple, the sometimes scandalized temple that is the present church, listening sometimes to what again seems mumbo-jumbo. Make it our custom to go till the new outline of your body for our day becomes visible in our midst. Amen. Let's worship. City Beautiful Church podcast. To stay connected, follow us on social everywhere at City Beautiful CH. We hope you join us again soon.